everyone, and welcome to the So Mindful podcast, where we dig into the tips and topics that will help you have great fun making clothes that make you feel fabulous. I'm your host, Jackie Blakemore of So Much More Fun, and I can't wait to share this week's illuminating episode with you. So let's roll the tape. Hi everyone and welcome to this week's episode of the So Mindful podcast. I am delighted this week to be joined by my special guest Harriet Chelman and the reason Harriet's going to join me today is because when I think of denim fabric Harriet's the first person I think of. I met Harriet on a enterprise course that we were doing together and was blown away by the work that she was doing with her designs and I wanted to do another fabric focus this week and because we'd covered it also with Claire Hutchinson, I know she's a big fan of denim and I'm guessing she will definitely be listening to this episode. I wanted to cover this topic because I think it's such a versatile fabric, but it can be a bit intimidating for home sewers, you know, if you're just getting started because it has a few challenges to working with it. So I wanted to get a bit of feedback from Harriet. She does a lot of work with this fabric and I just wanted to get a bit of input so you can hear her side of what she does and how she does it. So welcome, Harriet. It's lovely to have you on the podcast. Can you just tell our listeners a little bit about you, what you do and who you do it with? Of course. So I'm a fashion educator. I'm uh, experienced in vocational, private, college and university level lecturing. I'm also a creative entrepreneur where I focus on supporting mainly university and startup businesses with their product development. And a lot of that business is also through kind of private tuition because I always want to teach what I know as well. But then also I do have a teeny tiny clothing line where I get to put my own creativity and kind of my design philosophy into as well. And I think with my first collection being denim, then that's probably why uh, I'm here today as well. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. And and we were talking a bit before we did the interview about your history with denim and how you got started with that fabric. So can you just tell me a little bit about your introduction to denim? What are your first memories of that and working with that? Well, my... Truly first experience with denim actually comes from my dad because he used to work for Levi's as a salesman and he used to kind of manage organizing factories and back then it was Soviet Union and the European side of their business. But then from there, I ended up doing fashion myself and it was especially at university where I had to do research and investigate more an area of my interest and that's where denim came as well. So I have a lot of more deeper understanding of the what the fabric itself actually represents and the symbolism of it as well. So for many reasons, that's how it's always been part of my journey. And then obviously eventually it led into me doing my collection. So yeah, we will talk more about that in a second. So we were talking about the symbolism of denim. Can you just share a bit, little bit more about, about that? So denim is actually one of the only few fabrics that what I'd like to think is like almost like the most accepting, most objective and inclusive fabric there is because denim isn't committed to a culture, sex, religion, social status or anything like that. And it's almost like an olive branch in many ways, if you think about that. And not that that necessarily comes through in the work, but as a 
designer myself, that's a very important aspect of my thought process and philosophy. But then another thing is it also suited my business ethos quite well, because obviously as an independent small designer like myself, then making design and clothing in UK for made to measure, it's not cheap, to be honest. So with that comes kind of the desire to make sure that the garment has a long lifespan, gets a lot of wear out of it, and it almost becomes one of those garments in your wardrobe that has a lot of memories attached to it and the sense of preciousness about it that this kind of the idea of throwaway fashion is not part of that anymore. Yeah. So the fabric has to fit the bill for that as well with its attributes. Yeah. Then as a material and in general, the wearability of it is very high because Mainly denim is made out of natural fibers. And with that comes the breathability and wearability comfort aspects. Also, depending on the quality of fabric and the weight of the fabric that you choose, then the durability. So it can even go from streetwear to hard wearing purposes and so forth. And just a broad range of use of it as well. So for example, my collection is made out of black dyed denim and then raw loom state denim. And the whole collection is made out of two fabric options, basically. Yeah. So everything is cut to order and uh, there's no waste or no sales because there's no stock. So uh, I can maximize my materials from that point as well. So picking up on a few of those points there, I think one of the aspects of denim is it can be a dress up and dress down fabric, can't it? And as you say, changing the colour of it can change how you might wear it. But also it has the natural fibres to be comfortable, but equally it has structure. So for those people who are a bit more a classic style, you can still create garments out of it that look quite structured as well, can't you? As well as it fitting a more natural style as well. So I think, as you say, it does transcend quite a lot of different aspects of design. Absolutely. And especially in current climate, or if we think about trends and stuff, then there is no such thing as workwear for workwear or sportswear for sportswear, you know. So the fact that you can make tailored pieces out of denim fabric, or you can even make sports inspired garments out of denim. So the boundary, there's literally no limits anymore. And I think I think you're right. And it's one of those things where the various properties of the denim really lend themselves to those those kind of style changes and designs. So what stands out for you in terms of what separates denim from other fabrics? So we've talked a little bit about the durability. Are there any other aspects that you think are really important for denim? I think one of the strongest ones, which is also part of my design ethos, is the fact that you actually can put your own story into the garment or denim in this case, because with denim, and I think it's probably the only few fabrics who can tolerate wear and tear, but still be appropriate to use. And if nothing else, it kind of tells a story of what the wearer has gone through. And, you know, stuff like you can always see in your dad's back pocket that there's been a wallet there. Or nowadays you can see that there's a phone shape in a pocket or stuff like that. But I think with that wear and tear comes to preciousness as well. It almost creates a relationship with the garment, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. Quite lovely. 
So. Yeah, like you say, you can almost read the journey through the, the different aspects of the garment, can't you? We talked about your relationship with your sister and how that fed into your collection. Can you share a little bit more about some of the features that came from that? So my sister, older sister, she used to be very fashion focused and I was the tomboy who was living in joggers and, you know, sports shorts and stuff like that. And I have really tall parents and we don't have the same dad, which can definitely be seen in the height difference that we have. So what always used to happen is I would get hand-me-downs from my sh- shorter sister. So I would have to undo the denim, like the hems and, you know, add pieces to the bottom just to make them long enough again. And I don't know who could call it fashion, but that's what happened. But back then, I obviously didn't have this loving memory of it back then. <laughs> but nowadays, it's like in my collection, for example, I use these details like on fold down presses are still present in my collection and the raw edges and the raw seaming and stuff like that so it's almost like a reminiscence of those old yeah, like times a tribute where, to that yeah. <laughs> yeah so obviously it just happened to be that at that point it was also kind of very trend focused to have like raw seaming and stuff like that but it's always nicer to have that true meaning behind it for those decisions rather than just say because it was trendy yeah. For example, so, yeah. 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 It definitely has a more personal connection to you, doesn't Absolutely. it? And, and as you said, though, it is one of those few fabrics where there's not many fabrics that you can take a bit of sandpaper to or a pair of scissors to and then still wear it and call it that that's deliberate. You know, that's a fashion. It's very few, yes. very few things where we consider that to be the norm, isn't there? And denim is definitely one of those. Absolutely. Having worked with denim, then, do you think there's any downsides to it or any hard aspects to working with denim? Obviously, any challenges, especially with sewing or creating anything, everything is a challenge at the beginning. So it's almost like through practice and experimentation that you kind of learn the tips and tricks and techniques to manage these, whether it's leather or denim or fine fabrics or anything like that. But I do have a few tips that I think uh, anyone who wants to start this journey (laughs) can consider for their own journey. So big thing with denim, and I'm now mainly talking about denim that is quite minimally processed. So for example, there might be mainly 100% cotton or very, very little elastane in it. It might be that there's no like washes or anything like that. So the less manipulated the fabric is, the more prep you actually have to do for it. So for example, one of the things to consider is the shrinkage of the fabric. So oh, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And with that comes also like, you know, my my black denim that I use for my collection is dyed, of course, which means that the transfer of color and dye is quite extensive. So, for example, before I even start cutting anything, I have to wash the fabric and I tend to wash it actually quite a few times. I know there is environmental impacts on that, but then at the same time is uh, you don't even wash denim after you've made the garment that often anyway. Yeah. But it minimizes the risk of, if you wash it after you've made it, minimizes the risk of the garment actually changing size because with raw state fabric, we can actually talk about quite a large shrinkage as well. And we can talk anything from two to five to 10%, which is quite scary when you think about (laughs) the quantities of that. But 
also the transfer dye is a big one for me, especially with black fabric. Yeah. I'm sure people know from their own experience shopping for denim pieces is the fact that denim comes in very broad range of options for fabric quality. So for cutting, for example, light and medium weight fabric, you can pretty much use the same techniques as you would use for regular dressmaking, you know, like cutting a fold, cutting double layer fabric. However, if you go on heavier duty fabric, then you might actually want to start thinking that I'm actually going to just cut single layer. Okay. So with that comes the consideration is that you actually need to probably have full patterns when yeah. you're cutting. Then you need to use potentially a broader range of options for cutting tools. So rotary cutters to kind of very heavy shears. Then there's, if we talk about more advanced dressmaking or manufacturing in general, then obviously there's electric rotary cutters and stuff like that. But especially if you do one-off pieces, cutting with sharp shears is absolutely fine. But then obviously, if we think about what makes denim denim, it's the what I like to call hardware. So it's the rivets and it's the buttons and it's the tacks and everything else. So if we talk about the metal hardware, then obviously you probably need some tools. There's a lot of tools available that you can even buy from Amazon and just do those few rivets yourself. But then also obviously the higher level manufacturing we go than the more advanced the machines are as well. Sewing denim can be potentially quite scary and especially for anyone starting sewing or even advanced but just take it slow the prep and in this case I mean for example pinning or using bull clips or something like that that really allows you to feel like you're in control of the sewing as well yeah and um, if we think other attributes or design details of denim that really makes it that's a pair of jeans or that's a jean jacket or denim jacket is the stitching, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Obviously, if you use commercial patterns, quite often the seam allowance is quite generous anyway. But if you need to change anything, then when you design your seams is to allocate enough seam allowance considering the seam detail that you want to create. The desired top stitching, which is usually the twin needle effect, depending on what kind of measurements do you want for the top stitching, that also is impacted by the size of the seam allowance. Yeah, because they have that faux flat fell or the flat fell seams as well. So it's slightly different, isn't it, for some of those fabrics? Absolutely. And the fun thing about that is, you know, even if you buy a commercial pattern, if you want to make it bigger, you can. Yeah. And have fun with it. So if we think about jeans, then what we usually have is we have two types of seams. So we have the twin needle effect, like I just mentioned before, and we have the standard seam, which is kind of a regular open seam or closed seam, but there's not often a top stitching involved with that one. There are a few ways that you can create this effect. So for example, the easier, more commercial way is to do a faux flat fill seam. And quite often how that's usually done is it's either done with a serger and a lock stitch or sewing machine, then pressed open and then top stitched. Or there's the flat fell seam that is done with proper folding and cutting and stuff like that. Not that I'm necessarily wanting to go into that in this podcast, but that is more what we would consider a high end, more kind of a richer result for what you're trying to do. And It's usually with this flat fill seam detailing that you can really tell what price bracket are we talking about. 
So even if you didn't make your jeans yourself, but if you can see a faux flat fill seam in a shopboard garment, you can see that there's a few corners cut there maybe. So Yeah, that's right. And so by the flat fill, it's kind of a bit origami, isn't it? Trying to create those where the two raw edges are tucked in on each other and then it's stitched over the top with that double row of stitching. Where the faux ones are, you stitch it like a regular, almost like a regular seam. You overlock it, but then top stitch it with the seam pressed to the side, don't you? And it gives that impression from the right side, but underneath you would still see the overlocked edge, wouldn't you? So yeah, there are different ways. And I think depending on the weight of the fabric that you're using, like you were saying, you you can't really do those faux ones with the thicker weight fabrics, can you? Because it's just too bulky in that seam. So that's why they tend to use those flat fells, isn't it? So it tries to minimize the fabric. Well, I think there's a few thought processes that can go to that. For example, the, if we think about higher mass, even small scale mass production, then the machines that do a proper flat fell seam in the manufacturing process if they have a proper machine for that, it's literally seconds to do. Right. However, if you don't have that machine, you have to result in the faux one. And then it's almost like you have to adapt the manufacturing process to your resources that you have. I think faux flat fill seam is a great way to at least start with denim if you want to practice and get into it. And if you want to aspire to build up your skills up to flat fill seam, then it's absolutely great to be working towards that. Yeah. Another thing that might be interesting to consider in this situation is how the jean patterns are actually cut. Jean patterns are not always cut the way a regular trouser is cut. So we have salvage edge denim. You know, you can see on some high end jeans where we can see a little bit of like a red or blue edge on the on the seam allowances and stuff like that. But in order to get a finish like that, that means that one edge of your pattern needs to be fully straight. Yeah. So that then impacts the grain lines and so forth. So it tells a story if you kind of know to read the signs almost. Yeah, definitely. And so we were speaking about the fact that I think a feature of denim is some of the top stitching and that detail that we see, isn't it? And so one of the things we talked about was I've definitely found it quite challenging just on a regular sewing machine to try and get something similar. It takes a bit of playing with, doesn't it, to to be able to replicate that. I know there are top stitch threads that you can buy, but they still aren't quite as thick, are they? So have you got any suggestions around threads and things to use when you are working with denim? So I think creating this denim finish on the right side of the garment, then I think there's a few things to consider. Thread is absolutely one, but then it's also the quality of the stitch that you create with it as well. So things to consider when you're trying to create this effect is the thread thickness. So if I'm thinking more of sewing enthusiasts, home seamstresses, then even like you said, the upholstery, the top stitching threads, But then there are threads that can go really thick as well. The thicker the thread is, the more visible the stitch is. So you need to have the appropriate needle for that. So the the thicker your thread is, the bigger needle needs to be. So, for example, I've sewn lightweight and medium denim, even on a fairly regular needle, which is 80 slash 12. And anything from 90, 14... But then the heavier you go, you need to really start looking at the heavy duty needles, which is 116 and upwards and stuff like that. Make sure your needle is sharp and in a good condition because 
Even when I say weaker machine, I'm more meaning like entry-level domestic. Even entry-level machines can handle heavy-duty fabrics as long as the tools are correct for yeah. that. A needle is one of them. Another thing that you need to really make sure is that your machine tension is appropriate. And the tension is relevant for both the top thread and the bobbin thread. So if I mention bobbin first, so what I tend to at least do is I use the same thread for top and bottom. It just kind of creates a nice quality on both sides. But then from my experience, the tension has to be almost like you're really having to work quite hard to pull the thread through the machine in order to get the solid stitch that you're after. So the bobbin thread needs to be wound onto the bobbin just as hard as a regular thread would be. So no softness, no loops, no nothing. It needs to be as well wound as a regular sewing thread. But if this isn't a challenge, then you can use a few tricks and tips and just re-channel the thread a few more other tension points to give more tension to it, and it will be just fine. Yeah. But then the top thread is same thing. I think on domestics, it's a little bit limited how tight you can go with the tension, but it is through trial and error that you need to experiment with this. But with that in mind, I would always recommend sampling anything you do first rather than go straight into the sewing of it, because nothing is worse than you having sewn a long leg seam or something like that, and then find out that the bobbin thread or something is looping on the other side. So make your samples, secure your machine settings, and if nothing else, keep track of them as well, because when you have potentially one sewing machine to use, you might have to change the tensions between threads and stuff. So you remember where the settings are okay for you. Yeah, because you do have to do some of it as you go along, don't you? I remember sewing some jeans and you have to do the top stitching in the inseam, for example, before you can sew the outseam, because otherwise you just can't get to it. You can't kind of get it around. So as you say, you do need to swap and change between them. And so it's worth just making a note of your settings. That's a great tip. And I think also I've generally not used the thicker thread on the bobbin, but I think that's a good thing to consider. And it's usually easier to change the needle tension because there's often a dial on most machines, isn't there, in the top. Mm -hmm. But the bobbin ones are usually a little bit more awkward. It was like the old screws and things like that for that. So yeah, having a play with your samples will help you uh, work out what combination works best for your machine. Well, about the bobbin thread, then I think one of the reasons why I've come to this solution is even if you might not use the same thread is at least don't have necessarily the biggest contrast in thickness. Like obviously, maybe I'm saying this because I use really thick threads for my work, but if you have just a regular sewing thread at the bottom, then the weight of the top thread and the bottom thread, if the contrast is so big, I just find it. The stitch is going to be uneven, isn't it? Yeah. Snaps or stuff like that. So, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. No, I think that's a great tip. I think I just hadn't really considered it in, in that way. And I think that's a really good thing to have a think about. Well, if I can add to that, then probably if you're doing one-off garments just for yourself and small-scale production, then if I think about how those top threads and some other thicker threads might come for more commercial purposes, they are obviously smaller spools that they come in. Yes. Maybe for economical reasons yeah maybe absolutely 
keep the top thread on the thick one. But in my case, I get like a lot of thread. <laughs> so <laughs> I <tend to> be, <laughs> never showed today. I, I, I get to kind of splurge a little bit, I guess. Yeah. With that one. <laughs> so the tip is buy in bulk. That's what we're saying there, isn't it? I'm never averse to that. That's always a good tip. So explain to the listeners a little bit more about your collection then and what kind of garments do you have in there? Because I know it's not what I would class as traditional in that way. I think but you're very creative with what you've put in your collection. So just talk us through a little bit about that. So I think my design ethos, I guess, is like I said at the beginning is I like something to be with a long lifespan and with good quality in manufacturing and so forth. But I guess as a designer, I have the privilege and opportunity to really design for specific style as well. So even though I'm inspired by classic shapes and silhouettes, I'm still wanting to put my visual ethics into it. And what I aspire as a designer, if that makes sense. Mm. So one of the things, because obviously I'm a bit taller than average at six foot two, So I do appreciate long lines, for example. So I grew up, and this is referring to my sister's old jeans, is the fact that my jeans were never long enough. So now I want to design jeans that are long enough. (laughs) But then if you look at any of the designs like I have for my jeans, then, for example, it looks like a design detail. But one thing with long jeans is the fact that you actually, and I'm sure everyone knows this, is you wear and tear the back of the jean leg under your foot if they're long, too long and stuff like that. Yeah. But, but what I actually have is I have a design detail there that allows customers, if they literally wreck their jeans, I can actually replace the bottom of the jeans to new ones in a way that, again, extends the longevity of the garment as well. Yeah, yeah. But I try to make these decisions look like design decisions rather than kind of economical, smart decisions. Yeah, practical decisions. Yeah, Yeah, practical decisions. (laughs) But, um, you know, people have been quite excited about them. And one of the things that people seem to respond to my collection with is the fact that I really like classical shapes. So a high-waisted, nicely fitted hip area and a leg that elongates the legs even longer whilst there's still this oversized relaxed feel about it without it actually being like a super oversized garment Mm. and partly what that is also is the comfort of wear which makes you want to wear it you know because that's I think the biggest compliment to a designer is when people want to be in your clothes and not hopefully ever have any negative feelings and sensations wearing them yeah fantastic and just as a last thing in terms of treatment of fabric so I see a lot of references when we talk about denim and particularly jeans and things like that and using sandblasting or using sandpaper or using other things like that on fabrics what are your thoughts around that well part of my ethos is the sense of minimalism in my approach to a lot of aspects of my design process. So whenever I can ask myself, do I have to do this decision? And if I have to ask that, it almost is immediately no. So in this case, I was talking about how fabric can create a story. 
So if I did this story in advance to some people, it wouldn't be their story. Yeah. So it's almost like I let the wearer create the story. And obviously with the way people carry their bags, the way they might fold their sleeves up or how their sleeves wrinkle when they lift them up, whatever it is, it becomes their way of doing it. With that also comes the opportunity of when I don't do anything, I don't have to charge anything. <laughs> yeah. you know? yeah. so, and especially, you know, like when we are talking about independent price points, then I want to offer this value for money as much as I can. Mm. And me taking this process away from my head to the tail, basically, then it leaves it up to you almost, doesn't it, as a customer? to create it. Some people are very precious. Some people are more, this jacket is for the wear of it rather than for the pretty of it type yeah, thing. And yeah. You can definitely see that. Some people wash things more than others and it has an impact on how the garment ages. Yeah. So I think the only process I've done is my raw edges because I've kind of started them off a little bit, but with wear and tear they grow and evolve and people then can trim them down if they want to that's absolutely fine you know yeah so yeah I love it just in general in the industry nowadays you don't necessarily need to be afraid of all the surface manipulation that you see out there in the garments because the technology is evolving quite rapidly and a lot of them are actually nowadays done done with laser so there's not necessarily like a sandblasting process or a dyeing process or anything like that obviously there's a person operating the machine but it's not like a physical work for them to actually do but however this is still a growing I hope it becomes more of a standard that we do it through laser rather than any other chemicals or anything like that but things are improving so that's good yeah definitely and I think just on that in terms of buying because we've not really touched on the different types. There's lots of different types of denim, aren't there? Maybe we can do a follow-up and we'll talk about that a bit more. But have you got any last tips around things to look for when you're buying denim? You know, we talked a bit, little bit about weights and things like that. And have you got any, any tips around what to look for? Well, nowadays, obviously, denim truly comes in very broad range of options. So there can be fabrics that have more or less elastane or spandex in it. So my personal thought about this is like, if you're doing all this effort of making a garment for yourself to wear, I would rather invest in the fabric quality as well. So fabric quality for me means immediately it's like, obviously we love to touch things, don't we? So if it feels thin, remember it's like the more you use it, the more it's going to wear and then it's going to just break down and you're not going to even want to wear it. But then another quite exciting thing is that with sustainability becoming a more and more of a norm in all aspects of fashion as well, then there is sustainable denim options as well. So, you know, that can be anything from more organic cottons that they use. In my case, less surface manipulation, less dyeing processes and so forth. Yeah. But then also you can actually quite often have fun with these yourself, even if you want to try dye anything at home in, with natural ingredients that you have around in your kitchen. I'm always encouraging people who are sewing for themselves to have the curiosity to expand beyond the pattern instructions. 
you know so don't yeah. be afraid to <laughs> challenge what you've been told to sew for example or how to sew something so again slightly referring back to the stitch choices mm. you know just because a pattern might only ask you to do a normal seam doesn't mean you have to yeah or stuff like that and I think with denim especially we didn't actually talk about this well we mentioned stitching but is the choice of color for your thread as well so obviously in denim quite often people associate like these orangey coppery beigey colors for top stitching in my work I use black on white and white on black you know and what you can do is even if you use black on black quite often these threads are made out of like polyester or something which means that they don't fade but if your black garment fades the black stitching still remains prominent and that eventually becomes your design detail yeah yeah changes the feature as yeah yeah as the garment ages it changes the the look of it yeah no I love that that's great yeah switches it around doesn't it yeah definitely Yeah, some great, some great considerations. I think that's fantastic. So I'm sure we'll talk more about this topic. But for those people that would like to connect with you a bit more, Harriet, where's the best place to see where you are and to reach you? Well, you can really find me on Instagram. So you can find me with my name, which is Harriet Chelman. And that's for my denim collection. And then for my consultancy and private tuition, then it's 6.2 Design Company. And I'd highly recommend it. She's got a wealth of knowledge and she's taught so many students. And I know she's supported lots and lots of people in terms of learning. But beware, because I know she's quite a strict taskmaster. She doesn't let anything slide, do you? I know. Very high standards. I think think one of the, even though I enjoy vocational and just kind of fun sewing, but I think that's where my attention to detail is a little bit too strict sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) no you'll definitely come out with something high quality I can guarantee it so fantastic I really appreciate you taking the time Harriet I've loved talking about it and we will definitely talk about it more on this topic I'm sure so thanks very much and it's been great to get to explore it with you and such fantastic tips I love it (laughs) thank you no worries fabulous well that's it for this episode thank you so much for listening check out the show notes in the description area of your podcast app and click to follow or subscribe or head over to sewmindful.com forward slash podcast, which is S-E-W-M-I-N-D-F-U-L dot com, where you can also sign up for an email reminder so that you don't miss out on any juicy episodes. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, then please help others find us by leaving a review if you love this episode. And I'm always excited to find out what you got from the episode and how you plan to use the tips. And finally, if you have a question, feedback or a topic you'd like me to investigate, then you can also email me at hello at sowmuchmorefun.co.uk. So until next time, stay gorgeous and have so much more fun.